uh, when we were there, we were in Slovakia from uh, 1999 to, to 2005 and um, traveled over to Poland quite a bit and um, had a lot of interaction in that area. And so when we got ready to, uh, to go back, we were talking about going back. Um, you know, we just thought we would head to, uh, back to Slovakia. So um, that kind of changed completely when my, with my wife's diagnosis of cancer. And um, I, I kind of at that time thought, well, I'm, that's it. When you know, it's over, I'll, I probably won't ever go back. Um, but towards the end of, of her um, struggle, we really began talking about it. And um, you know, one of the things I have to kind of just put out here is, is um, when my wife was, was diagnosed with cancer, she called a friend of hers who had, um, who had breast cancer and had recovered. And so the two of them were talking, and her friend said, listen, she says, you got an opportunity here. And she says, I want you to know one thing. She says, you, there's two, basically two things that you have to do with this um, disease. You can either suffer with it or steward it, one or the other. And it was a pretty straightforward, kind of direct type of thing, but it's the truth. You either suffer with what you're doing, uh, going through, or you steward what you are going through. You see, when you're a steward, you are taking care of somebody else's resources. That's what a steward does. A steward takes those resources and functions in the household and takes those resources and puts them out and deals them out wherever they need to be put. So Ricky made a decision. She said, she said uh, I'm going to steward this. No matter what happens, no matter what comes about, I'm going to put Jesus number one and put him first and live according to his grace, and I will steward whatever comes. And that was the way she did all the way through her sickness. Not long after we, she began her treatments, um, we were talking one day, and I thought, you know, I have an opportunity. I've got the same choice. She's going through it, but I'm the caregiver, and, and you know, hey, if you're here and you guys have gone through it, husband, wife, father, mother, those different types of things, you know that you go through it in the same way, or in a different way, but you also go through it. So I had to make the same choice in my own heart, whether I was going to just suffer with it or steward what God has given us or allowed to happen. And so that's kind of where I was at. And so um, at the end of the time, but just before her death, we talked about it again. And uh, she, that was what she said. She says, you know, your heart's always been there, so it's time for you to go ahead and do what we had already talked about. And, and so that's what kind of started it back into the motion again. Um, I received a phone call from a friend of mine through that mission board. I had served with him in Slovakia. And uh, he's, he was talking, and he says, hey, by the way, because I was talking with him about going back. And he says, I, you know, we've got an opportunity in Poland um, he says, uh, I don't know whether you'd, you'd be interested in, in doing that. He says, heading up a team and, uh, you know, there in Poland. And I said, well, that's very interesting. And I said, how many people were on the team? He said, none. <laughs> I said, so what you're saying is I would be the head of the team and I would be the team. And he goes, that's the way it works. <laughs> so, you know, we have great team meetings. <laughs> 
we go all over the place to eat. <laughs> so, um, you know, so actually that's the way that God led, and that's why I'm there and uh, headed towards Poland for the emphasis is actually that of a um, church planning ministry. And um, God has, has just worked. God has provided, and even in the midst of COVID, because that, uh, I, what was it, Jack said that, that he said, you can't use COVID as an excuse. Um, we actually had a, a, a ABWE had a large number of people at our um, a new missionary orientation in the midst of COVID, had a large number of, of missionaries heading out, and they actually are opening up three new countries as far as their, the mission there with the ABWE. So COVID's not an excuse. Um, how about you do this? Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Corinthians. And I want to kind of just talk to you here about this. Yeah, it's a missions emphasis, but you know what? Missions doesn't happen in a vacuum. And missions is actually one of those times... Um, that we kind of look at it like a um, just a command to go. We kind of look at it those types of things, but you know what? It's much more than that. It's not just the, the go. That's not, that's not the message. The message is Jesus Christ. And the messengers are molded by the message. So it is Jesus Christ that molds us and, and guides us and 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 motivates us. It is, is His grace flowing in our lives. And again, that stewardship of taking the resources of what we have in Jesus Christ and allowing Him to bring that out through our lives and into the lives of others. And it happens, doesn't, like I said, it does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in life. And it does not always happen across culturally. It happens here in, in Luray, and it should be happening here in Luray. It should be happening wherever you are. And it is not, again, the focus is not that you need to, you better, you better go. The focus is the message of Jesus Christ. So let's look here in the book of 1 Corinthians. Of course, we've heard it referenced already. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And here's the key. Here's the key to all this. You see, Paul is doing this contrast here. And what he did with this is he started out in chapter 1, and he begins to, to contrast 
basically our frailties with the power of God. And he says, listen, if we're going to proclaim Christ, we're doing it in a frail kind of way. It is our bodies. It's who we are. It's our lives. It's the brokenness that we are. And we are, God's proclaiming his majesty through that brokenness. You see, here's the thing. I thought about this as I was praying about this this morning. It's the, the thought that came to me was, is when the brokenness of our bodies and our world invades our lives. That's what happens. That's what's happened this past week here in this area. That's what's happening in many of your lives and many of the different things. Listen, I, I will never, never, ever forget sitting in that doctor's office, November the 1st, 2017, and that lady walked through that door, and I knew it wasn't good. It was the look on her face. And she said, I am so very very sorry to say this. Look at my wife. She took her hand. She says, honey, you have cancer. And the kind of cancer you have is very aggressive. And you're already at stage three, maybe stage four. I'm so very sorry. That is when the brokenness of of our sin, not sinfulness, but just our sin-wracked bodies and of the sin-wracked world absolutely breaks in into our lives, breaks into your life. And you have no other way. You, have, you can't sit there and go, oh, sorry, no thank you. Um, we'll change the channel. Right? Oh, that's, there's nothing on Netflix. Let's go over to Hulu. Right? It doesn't work that way. And many of you know this. In so many different ways. And you see, that's what happens. It just invades into your life. So then what happens? What, what really goes on then? You have that choice. I suffer through it. And let me tell you, um, sitting at the, um, the cancer center, week after week, many times, multiple times through the week, and you're sitting there and, excuse me, and you're watching people come through the door, and you see it on their faces. There's anger. There's bitterness. There's fear. And there's a lack of hope. And you can go down that road. And you could say, this isn't fair. This, why should this happen to me? Why did God do this in my life? Who is he? And just by going down that way, we suddenly move from being a steward and we break off ourselves from the resources that are available to us and we sit over here in our pity and our anger and our, and our malice really towards God. And we miss the fact that, hey, just down the road, there's a couple down there and they're suffering, she's suffering from cancer. But the difference is, they don't know Jesus Christ. I do. They have no resources. I do. They have no recourse except for what the doctor says. I do. So, again, I could begin to steward that. Sitting in that, uh, my wife, she's, 
I'll tell you, you know, some of you know, remember her, and she didn't change at all. She was just, <laughs> she was just to the wall most of the time. You know what I mean? She was just fun, and um, she spoke her mind. <laughs> she just, she just laid it out there. But you know what? One, the first time we pulled up there to the cancer center, and I was dropping her out the front door. I was going to go park. It was back in those days when you could still help people and go in and be with them, right? And um, she looked at me, she says, I do not want to do this for any reason. And she began to cry. And she stopped, she goes, all right, that's enough of that. And she says, enough pity party. She says, go go in there and I'm going to let Jesus do what Jesus needs to do. <laughs> she got out, she opened that, I watched her, she opened that front door. And she had the biggest smile on her face. And she walked in that door. And every time she went through that door, every time, no matter what kind of treatment was going on, no matter what kind of situation was going on, she walked through that door with a smile on her face. And she literally, she, and if you knew my wife, you knew she didn't like crowds. She would tell me, she says, I don't like people. Which was really kind of one of those things I was like, no, you really like people. And she was good with people. But she just didn't like meeting strangers and things like that. That girl would walk in, suffering from cancer, going in, knowing that you're going to have junk put into your, into your veins that is going to take the life out of you. She would walk in with a smile on her face. And she would say hello to people. And she would talk to people. And she would ask them their name. Which... Again, that's a miracle in itself. Usually she would just sit quietly someplace, kind of going, oh boy, I hope nobody notices me. You know? But she actually would ask people their names. She would talk to them and she'd say, you know what, I'm going to be praying for you. Out of that, out of that, a young lady came out one day. She worked at the, at the cancer center. And she came out and we were sitting there waiting to go back. And she says, she says hey, can I, uh, can I get a moment to talk with you guys? And I said, okay. And she sat down. She goes, you know, I notice every time you come through. She's talking to my wife. She says, I notice every time you come through the door, you smile. And you talk to everybody, and you're talking about praying for people. She says, I've heard through the grapevine that you guys were missionaries. Yeah, yeah we were. And so as we got the talking and everything like that, um, her and her husband were beginning to kind of sense God's call to the mission field. And... Uh, through that initial meeting, through my wife going to the cancer center, we made friends with that young couple. And now that young couple, in two weeks, three weeks, are going to new missionary orientation, and they will be accompanying me to the country of Poland. You never know. But I will say, and I will agree with you, that is the hardest things you have to do. And we cannot do them ourselves. When Paul's sitting there and he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world. You know that word foolish there? I love this. I looked this up and I was like, oh, this is great. This, yeah, I can raise my hand on this one. That word foolish there, the Greek word is moros. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? It's our English word for moron, okay? And I was like, hey, wait, Lord, you, are you calling me a moron? 
you know, at first you're kind of taken back, and you're like, wait a second. Well, I thought you loved me, but you're talking, you're saying you chose the foolish things? I'm kind of foolish, I think. And, and you know, some of you out there know me go, well, finally, he, he finally figured it out after all these years. He is a moron. You know, it's just, that's it. It's the, it means that you don't have, it, the, the word moron there means you don't, you have total inability. That's what it means. It means that you are, you have no resources. You just, you're dull. You're kind of stupid. You have in a, a total inability. And I know that doesn't work well in our PC culture because everybody has to be wonderful, right? Everybody has to be fantastic. Everybody who's a Christian has to be Tim Tebow. Now, I know I look like him. <laughs> and you were probably confused when I walked up. Hey, that guy looks like Tim Tebow. <laughs> yeah. No, I walked up here and you're probably like, did they let people that short go into Poland? <laughs> you know, that's the thing, though. God... But here's the thing about this when it says, but God chose. He continues to return to that. But God chose what is foolish in the world. But God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world. And he says, so that way there's no boasting. There's nothing. Look at verse 30. This is, the, this is so much, this is so key here. He says, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. That is the key. Is that that resource that we are looking for so often that we step away from and we step into our, our bitterness and we step into our anger and we step into our questioning. And listen, I will tell you, I will be honest with you, there have been many a time from that moment, that, then that doctor's office, all the way to, yes, last night, to where I wrestle with God down in the mud down and dirty, buddy. And yeah, it's not, a, it's not pretty. But you know why? God is patient. And God is loving. And God says, you are mine. Let me, let me read this to you. I was thinking about this when Pastor was up here. Um, out of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, He created us, He formed us, He knows us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Okay, we have that. Most of the time we've got that. We're like, Amen. I'm the Lord's. Amen. Next verse. When... That's the first word, when, not if, when. Significant, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is an amen, isn't it? Because that's the resource. When we steward the situation that we are in, that is the resource that we tap into. 
And we recognize when. We recognize, listen, I, I, I've got a broken body. I've got things that don't work right. You know, incredibly handsome as I am. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? You hear me the pastor's like, dude, you, don't have, you didn't look in the mirror this morning. <laughs> no, you know, the truth of it is, is that things just break. Hearts break. People do evil, wicked things to other people. Don't they? Because of sin. And we live in the midst of this. And we have a choice. Do I get angry about it? Do I get fearful about it? Do I just jettison all these things and say, this doesn't work? I thought God was supposed to work. I thought all this was supposed to go right. I thought all this was supposed to be this way. And everything was supposed to be great. That's at least what the guy on TV said. If I wrote my check, everything was going to be great. That's not what's in here. What's in here is, listen, you and I live in a broken world. But the resource is Jesus Christ. And I am foolish, weak, Unable, but Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is justification. He is what makes me right before God. He is the righteousness. He imparts that righteousness to me. I don't have to beg God. I don't have to go before Him and say, Oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Don't give me this cancer. Oh, forgive me, forgive me. Don't give me these things. Because you know why? I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. And if I recognize that, that resource, and I come out, you know what? I can begin to look at the difficult situations. That's why my wife could go into the cancer center, and she wasn't wondering what she did back when she was 15 that caused her to have cancer now. That's where we dwell many times. But we miss the fact that the righteousness of God comes, and, and he tells us in, in uh, 2 Corinthians there, he says that... that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So Jesus is that resource. We can look at that and we can say, listen, the reason I'm in the midst of this is because I live in a broken world. But I have a Savior who knows, and He says, when I go through these things, when these things happen, I will not be overwhelmed. I will not be consumed. And I've actually had people say, you know, that's, that's really a lie. Your wife died. Yes. But so do lost people. The difference was is that I saw the strength and the power and the beauty of Jesus Christ in her life. And it manifested itself in so many different ways at so many different times. Paul goes through here and he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the testimony of her life. In the midst of, of, of cancer, she's sitting there, you know, and if anybody, if you have gone through or family members, you understand, you're sitting there in those chairs and they've got stuff all hooked up to you and they're pumping that stuff into you. And, you know, the nurses are all covered up completely because they're like, yeah. I asked this one nurse, she was getting ready to minister this stuff to my wife. And um, she was putting on double stuff. She put on four sets of gloves and all this stuff. And I said, um, why are you doing that? 
He says, well, if any of this, they called it the red devil. He says, if any of this gets on me, it can burn through my skin and actually, make, it has a potential to kill me. And I'm like, but you're getting ready to put that in her. You know, I was so encouraging. I was like, you're getting ready to put that in her. <laughs> and, and you know why? She goes, there's a difference. And I was like, okay, I'll just trust the Lord for that. And even in that, my wife was fearful. But the resource was the fact that it was the righteousness of God, the justification of God, the redemption of God, the wisdom of God. And she sat there and she joked with the, with the nurse about it. The impact of that in the lives of people, even people who are not suffering, but people who are working there, just like Jill, who's not part of the, one of my teammates now, saw the, my wife and saw her situation and saw the things. Listen, it was a testimony. You say, this is a mission message. It is absolutely a missions message. It is the missions message. Jesus Christ came and he was broken for our sins. By his stripes, we are healed. It is through his death that we see the resurrection. It is through his death, his pun all the things that happened to him. It is through that that came the resurrection and the power. It is that through that moment that he could stand forth and, and to proclaim. He says, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore. You see, like I said, we focus on the go, and we miss the fact that all power is given unto me, heaven and on earth, and that is who he is to us. He's been made this righteousness in our lives, and he's been, that's been imparted to us, and that is it. That is what we see when we go there. Listen, I know, I know you're hurting. I know people are hurting. I know you're broken, but I know one thing, that if you will trust and listen to God that His grace is sufficient. It is sufficient. It's as sufficient as when you're laying on the floor and, you, and you're just a mess because you're just bawling your eyes out because the light of your life just died. It's sufficient then. And it is sufficient enough for you to go to someone else who had that just happen. And you can pour out your life into them. And you can use that resource of the wisdom of God, the justification of God, the righteousness of God, His redemption. You know what the picture of redemption is, don't you? Freedom. That's what people in the cancer center needed. They needed freedom. Not healing. They needed freedom. It's not the COVID vaccine. It's Jesus Christ. You see, this is that picture, that thing that God does when he takes us in our brokenness and he says, now, if you will come to me and you will steward this, you will take whatever the situation is in your life, whatever the hurt is, whatever the anger is, whatever that is, and you will allow God to work through that and steward that. Listen, I was just talking to Dave Dooley here, and we were just, I briefly mentioned him. I said, for about the last six years, I've been going over to West Virginia Boys Home, or one of the uh, West Virginia Boys Home, and they are troubled youths that, that, that live there. And I've been able to minister to them. 
And I've been able to go and talk to them and, and lead some of them to the Lord. And most of them are, are, they didn't have, you know, obviously they had parents, but they didn't have parents, you know. And some of them look at me and they say, how do you know? And I tell them, I say, you know what? So when I was, I just turned 17, I said, I got kicked out of the house. I said, my mom completely abandoned me. Went nothing to do with me. Actually called the police on me to get everything that I had and take it away from me. Just completely abandoned me. I mean, I was abandoned before that, but that was the ultimate where I was just completely done. No home, no nothing. And I could look at them and I could say, listen, I kind of know where you are at. I told one guy one time, I said, you know the only difference between me and you? One guy looked at me and goes, what? I said, I didn't get caught. And that's the truth. <laughs> it is. I didn't get caught. They got caught. And they're in the system. But it is through that. You know, I could have sat. I, yeah, man, for years I was angry about it. Until one day I just realized, you know, it's God's grace that I'm even standing. I'm still alive. It's God's grace that I didn't get caught. It's God's grace that he brought me to this point. And I was able to take that, that, all that hurt from all those years and pour it out in the lives of those boys and look at them and say, I know what you're feeling, man. But Jesus is the answer. He's your redemption. Not finishing the program, Jesus. Um... When um, Rick was towards the end of the t her, her life, our church had some special um, services. They were going to have, you know, revival upstairs. And what we usually did is we did what we called a vacation revival school. And we had a big kids program downstairs for all the, the kids. And, you know, and it kind of helped out because people brought their kids, let them come downstairs, and they'd go to the revival upstairs. Well... She had not been able to go um, to that because she was just so weak. And then came Wednesday night. Um, she says, uh, she's, I saw her working to get ready. And I said, hey, hon, I said, why don't you just stay home? She goes, no. She says, I've got to go see my kids. And I said, are you sure? She goes, absolutely. And, <laughs> and again, if you know my wife, she goes, when she says absolutely, you know, that it was absolutely. <laughs> and you're like, okay, we'll make it happen. So I brought her, and she struggled through the night. She struggled because, you know, she was just, she had no strength. Emptied out. She did what she could. At the end of the night, she flopped down in a chair, and she was sitting there, and I was cleaning up and things. And I looked and came through the door into what we call kids in there, there was uh, seven young college-age girls that came through. I knew one of them. And they came in, and they went over to Rick, and they said, we wanted to meet you because we've heard about you. And I thought, heard about you? And they said, yeah. She, they, they said, uh, Sarah here, which was one of our kids, but had was now in college, um, had been telling us about your struggle with, with cancer and about just how you're handling it. 
and we wanted to come and, and meet you. So she sat there for about the next 30 minutes. She didn't talk about the cancer. She didn't talk about her struggle. She didn't talk about any of that. She told those girls, Jesus, and about his grace, and about his sufficiency, and about the beauty of who he is, and about the beauty of the fact that even though your body may be failing, that inside, God has given you life. And it was, it, I stopped doing my things, and I went over, and I just listened, because I was like, this is incredible. It was so powerful at that moment. And those girls, they literally just sat around her and they just listened to her. And I mean, they didn't say anything, nothing. And at the very end, she's like, well, she says, I guess I need to go. They got up and they gave her a hug. She was so completely played out, she couldn't even walk to the car. I had to carry her to the car. Got home, carried her inside. That was Wednesday. Thursday morning, she woke up, helped her down the steps, and from that moment, she went into a semi-comatose state where 12 days later, she went to be with the Lord. The last thing that she really did was minister and tell about the beauty of Jesus Christ. God chose not because of my wife, not because of her being a saint, but because of the fact that she decided that she was going to allow the resources of Jesus Christ to be used through her life, come whatever, and that Jesus would be glorified through it all. I haven't seen this girl since, except for the one. I know her, and she's... I don't know what will happen, but I do know one thing. I know what happened that night. And it wouldn't have, it would have never have come about if she hadn't made the decision. I'm not going to suffer and be angry. I'm going to be a steward. What will you be today? That's all. The question is if you are a steward of the grace of God, if you are a steward of the things of God, you will use His resources and who He is. And be open and willing and allow him to work through us and mission 